0: Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits, and this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me, and then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk, let's share information, let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod, Episode 6, Ask Amy. Today we are co-produced by Alan J. Tomasetti and Justine Sedke. And in the podcast with us are questions from Derek, Sam, Kay, Chaz, and Ricky, all asking some very profound and pertinent questions. If actions speak louder than words, then I need to remember that teaching is about working with people as well as speaking with people. So even if we're not in person, I want you to know I'm here for you now, speaking on your future in a positive way. I wanted to be positive. So I went to the vault and found a very positive piece check out The Sonatine by Antonin Dvorak, opus 100 in G major. And thank you so much for being in Porter Flute Pod. The first question I can answer right off the bat is, who is that great pianist that I'm hearing in The Sonatine by Dvorak? Well, that's Professor Christopher Harding, Professor of Piano at the University of Michigan School of Music, Theater, and Dance. He's my partner in this particular workshop, in this recital, at the Anatomy of Sound workshop, and you're going to hear all about my workshop at the end of the podcast. So I've gone to the vision board, and I'm looking at the first question. This is from Derek in Utah. How did you become a Haynes artist? Did they ask you... Did you go through an audition? What was the process? Well, Derek, the process for me was one of buying a flute. It took a couple of years. I had already established um, a, a career, let's say. And so, you know, after 36 years of playing on one brand of instruments on three different flutes since I was 12, the same maker, you know, I was looking for something new and I was looking for the flute to teach me something new. So I, after a long time of trying out flutes and talking with people, in 2014 I decided that I was going to buy a Haynes flute. I was very impressed by the sound of the and the beauty and the craftsmanship and the way it felt under my fingers. William S. Haynes was setting the standards in the early 1900s for the whole world in making silver flutes. And many of the makers in Japan were coming over and looking at the flutes and spending time with Mr. Haynes, so I felt like the key cups had a bit of familiarity to me under my hands. I also wanted something to complement the sound that I had already worked on for 36 years. That was fine, I spent, I've spent i spent the last six and a half years working on a new sound, new timbres, all the excerpts are new, all the pieces are new, and I'm having a blast. I'm not crying. I'm so happy. And I gave myself a challenge, and I'm, I'm glad I challenged myself. The next question Derek has is, will you be doing any mini concerts during quarantine? Well, I'm actually doing a very big recital for my Anatomy of Sound workshop. I'll film it at the end of May, and then edit it, and put it up. Now, by editing, I won't edit my playing, but the cameras will be following me all up and down these empty hallways and showing me in empty spaces without an audience. So, Derek, I'm trying to bring you live music. If, if I can't come to you, you can't come to me, then I'll try and get you into the big hall in any way possible. Thank you for your questions. I really appreciate it. Our next question comes from Kay in Arizona. Kay is asking, what is your normal routine before a performance to calm your nerves? Do you still get nervous? Oh my goodness. Kay, of course I get nervous. Everyone gets nervous. In fact, it's called normal fear and doubt or excitement, or I can't wait to produce what I've been practicing. So as far as a normal routine, a normal routine comes from a normal routine. I have one of those routines already in my life. So if I have a performance that day, I stick to the normal routine and then I switch to the performance routine. And the performance routine consists of a nap. My naps are very important to me because as Vladimir Horowitz, the pianist, said, naps of 30 to 90 minutes can renew your mind, your mindset. Now, if you're a little bit superstitious like me you can put your music under the pillow during your nap and that way the music might just through osmosis go into your brain a little better (laughs) that's just me but I think that Horowitz is right we need to go down we need to really turn off our minds and press pause and then when we get back up You have zero stimulants, zero coffees. You know, you can have food. I know I like a nice club sandwich, but just a few bites. And then I take everything to the hall and I get ready in the hall and I I get into that mood, you know, mood. And I think if I'm all practiced up and I'm all ready, I know what I'm wearing and I know what's happening. I visualize the whole concert. My nerves are one where are are controllable they are where i'm happy they're happy nerves so they're not oh no nerves and one last thing about this is that if you're looking forward to a concert being over that is a negative attitude if you're looking forward to the next concert that is a positive attitude so keep your attitude in check and make sure that you're appreciating your concerts and then I think you don't get so nervous. She also asks, what etudes do you recommend for players that are 10 years out of college or more and want to keep up their skills? Well, a couple books that come to mind are Marcel Moyes' How I Stayed in Shape. It's a great title. Also, Leonardo Di Lorenzo, the first flutist of the New York Philharmonic under Mahler. He wrote 18 Caprices. Capricci. So make sure that you order the Di Lorenzo 18 Caprices. They're all different titles and different aspects of technique. So I would recommend those two books. Thanks for your question, Kay. next question comes from Chaz in Cincinnati. How can we create bridges that make studying and experiencing classical music more accessible for people of marginalized communities? Well, Chaz, I would take the people into the communities. That means the teachers and the players and even the students. And that's what youth outreach is about. I think if you create an organization and expect all the people to come to you, then you're not going to get quite get all the community. So we need to find out what the needs of the community are and what they want, and then match the right community at the right time with the right people. I know when I was in the Lincoln Center um, outreach program and I was playing flute and guitar, there were some high schools and middle schools that graciously accepted us. It was the first time they had ever heard classical music. But then there were some neighborhoods where we weren't welcome. And so I consider that being in the right place at the right time for the right community. I really, really am an advocate of making the orchestra more full of color as well as the the conservatories. I think everything needs to be a beautiful mosaic in terms of color and culture. And I'm definitely an advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is your next question. Can you talk about ways in which you think institutions such as conservatories and orchestras should be addressing issues of DEI yes I think people should be in positions to help I think every organization should hire a person a human that people can go to and this human is responsible for outreach and future thought and moving the organization in a direction where everything is more colorful and mosaic so I'm excited to watch the institutions such as universities, conservatories, orchestras, and all performing arts organizations to go the way of DEI. It's going to be a beautiful process, not an easy one. And again, the right place at the right time with the right message in the right community. That's what we need. Thanks for your questions, Chaz. Ricky is in Arizona and Ricky is asking, what are your warm up routines and does it change depending on the situation you're in? Yes, Ricky, it does. So, just quickly as an answer, I can't do too much before a concert. So, my warm up routine before a concert will be very light, it'll focus mainly on beginnings and endings of pieces and some of those gnarly bits in the middle. But then when I'm preparing, like I am now for a concert in two weeks, I will go and do my normal 30-40 minutes of Moyes, long tones and scales and maybe Taffanel 10 or 12 or 4 or 5. And 3 is fun if if you pick a key every day. And then If I don't have anything on the horizon, a longer practice and a longer warm-up period is so fun because I have the time for it. And my lips probably aren't as warmed up, I would say, for lack of a better word. They aren't as, you know, supple as they would be if I was in super-duper shape for lots of repertoire. So um, the closer I get to a concert, the practice sessions get less and less about warming up and they get more and more about the repertoire. So I'd say if you have a long time to spend where you can take a bath in Tafanel Gobert and Macar, Andre Macar and, and Jeffrey Gilbert and George Barrer and Marcel Moise, just get all those pedagogues methods and just literally bathe in them that's when the practice routines are long and then you have goals and you have concerts and you have auditions and you say okay well maybe I can't really do two and three hours of warm-up because it would be taking away from what the real focus is which is actually (laughs) I'm trying to win a job or I'm trying to win a prize or you know I've got my eye on this goal and so the warm-ups probably should, and they do for me, start to become a little more compact. And so you only need five or 10 minutes in one area to make yourself feel good. Okay, my lips are ready. My fingers are ready. My air is ready. My mind is ready. Let's do this. And then um coming up to the concert, like I said, the day of the concert, there's not going to be a whole lot of warm-up warm-ups. It's just going to be just to stabilize and, and be ready to do what I have to do. So Thanks for your question, Ricky. One final question from Sam in Arizona. Sam asks, for those who play in public schools, how do you practice without an instrument since schools aren't letting students rent instruments right now? Well, Sam, you can put the instrument down and study so many skills. I think you could learn to solfege. Now just watch the sound of music to learn to solfege. It's the language of pitch. And then you could learn to conduct with solfege. That's what we had to do at Juilliard. Then you could do a tutorial for rhythm and develop your theory skills, sight singing, and just build a strong foundation. I think good listening skills are important. And familiarizing yourself with the classical music field and genre in general is really important. You can do so much. When I was 10, I don't think I even knew all the fingerings at that point on the flute, but I would take my father's score of the four Brahms symphonies, and I'd put it on my lap, and I'd follow along with my part. And I didn't, again, I didn't even know all the fingerings. So I was just curious. I think it's really good to be curious. And just familiarize with all familiarize yourself with all the classical music you possibly can. You're also asking me who my musical inspirations are. And I have to say that beyond all the flute players of Ron Paul and James Galway and Julius Baker and Samuel Barron and my teachers, Jeannie Backstresser and all the incredible um people that mentored me, like Trudy Kane. And, I, you know, Alan Marion and Peter Lucas Graff, those people were so influential to me. But I think growing up with things like the Muppets and seeing Yo-Yo Ma there and growing up watching Yo-Yo Ma create Silk Road and just watching Yo-Yo Ma at Tanglewood be so nice to me, even though he didn't need to be nice to me. I mean, just like in passing. Hi, I'm Amy. Nice to meet you. You know, just that. Yo-Yo Ma is the nicest person. So I would have to say I was deeply influenced by not only his playing, but his person. And let's see, you're also asking me about non-classical musical inspirations. Well, I would have to say that the businesswoman known as Madonna, how she keeps reinventing herself, that is pretty inspirational. Every decade, that woman comes out with a new look and a new sound and new lyrics and has some new part of life to offer and i would just say that you know that's pre- she's pretty inspiring human to me and the last question you're asking me what is the most beautiful piece of music i've ever heard wow there's a lot of beautiful music out there but i have to say morton Lauritsen's o mannu mysterium always gets to me in fact i made it a project of mine to play it as a flute choir piece, just with myself on all the voices. So that was a lot of fun. And I think it was worth it for me to just get out all my feelings in my most favorite piece. So Sam, thanks for your questions. like To thank you so much for your questions. This is the first Ask Amy episode, so if you have any burning questions you'd like to ask me, I can absolutely answer them in a future episode of Ask Amy. Just send them to me at amyporter.com or porterflute.com. Just click on contact me. I can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as Porter Flute. And on Facebook, I'm Amy Porter Flutist. Also, tune in next time where my next podcast is called Stay Well, Play Well. It's how to stay healthy at this time during the pandemic and what I've done to stay well and play well through over 45 years of flute playing. Thanks for joining me today. I'm grateful for you. This podcast is brought to you in part by The Anatomy of Sound, a workshop for all musicians. My adult workshop at the University of Michigan School of Music, Theater, and Dance is called The Anatomy of Sound, and we are in our 18th year. I wanted to bring it online this year because it's got so many different kinds of information and incredible courses that you can take over four days. It's in collaboration with the professor at the Eastman School. Benita Boyd, as well as myself, Dr. David Brown from the School of Medicine at Michigan, and Laura Dwyer, Certified Yoga Instructor. I also have guest Dr. Erica Boyzen from the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, as well as Avon O'Leary, the head of Haynes Flutes. So I think that we can help Everyone discovered their distinctive voice on the flute. We attract amateurs, students, and professional musicians from all different levels of life and music. After leaving the workshop, everyone seems to have found a deeper meaning in their art because they've let go, and they've heard their own voice in new ways. Students have told me they're producing tone by using their body's wisdom, and it further helps them discover their own way in music and in life. I can now see this pathway works. It's touching hearts. And we've seen results. Some students come away using the anatomy lessons and some come away using the sound lessons. But nevertheless, it's all about the daily life where we transform and heal and we are productive, happy, and healthy. That's the anatomy of sound. I have a comprehensive two-disc movie, or study guide for all musicians to use as a teaching tool for instrumental sound production. I'm combining the workshop and research to bring to you into your practice room. So join us June 6, 7, 8, and 9. Visit www.smtd.umich.edu slash of See you there.